All right, welcome back. Today is Pedic Test, Chapter 9. We finished, at least according to the map of Tanya, which I've told you before is not entirely authoritative, it was just written by some guy, but, which is true, just somebody doing his best to try to represent some concepts in Tanya, but according to the map of Tanya, Chapters one through eight is one color code. Oh. Yeah, you see over there on the tiny map? Yeah. Yeah, tiny map's over there. In this, in this classroom, blue. the tiny map. It's blue. And, you know, what's the significance of blue? When spotlight design, <laughs> 15, 20 years ago, whenever yeah, it was. When we, no, it, no, it's just. The tiny map I, I, I compiled probably, well, I'm coming up in a couple of weeks on our 22nd wedding anniversary, so wow. I think we're. Wow. Thanks. We I think we're. Sure. <laughs> I think we were married for two years when I made the Tanya map, so I think it's 20 wow. years. Anyway, so the colors were just spotlight design. Um, I don't think there's any specific Kabbalistic significance. Anyways, what? Just don't give her a oh yeah, we can come up with it. Yeah. Well, if you pay. If you pay $1,000, we reveal to you the secret of the color codes, like Scientology. Like, if you take the Tanya class, that's free. But to reveal the secret of the color code, the secret briefcase, thousands of dollars. Yeah, okay. Correct, that's right. Wow, you guys are compiling. You know more about me than Google. I don't know if that's possible. Okay. No, last week. Yes, yes. Schlach, schlach, yeah, very good. Okay, anyways, so we finished the first eight chapters, which, she needs a pen, a pen. We uh, finished the first eight chapters, which, oh my goodness. Paula, the Bengals needed you last night. Oh, it was a great game. It was bad. It was a great game. The Bengals and the Rams. You know what was cool? I had to memorize that there was no LA Rams. For years I had to remember there's no LA Rams. And now there's a LA Rams again. It's like we're in the eighties again. Okay. I, I now it's like back to Everything the comes back. And the Bengals are in the Super Bowl again. That was like in the eighties. So I feel like I feel comfortable right now. Okay, we're very happy Yeah, yeah. Maybe Pac Man will make a comeback. Or Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong! Oh my goodness. Don't even that? tell me where it is, because I will just... I don't know if you'll yeah. go there, but I'll tell you where it is privately. What about that person you mentioned last week? That, uh, what person? Nobody knew. You said it was from the 80s. Oh, Gary Gygax! Yeah. Oh, I never looked it up. <laughs> from Lake Geneva. Gary Gygax. Is your favorite game Donkey Kong? You want to hear something interesting about Donkey Kong? Yeah. So the Japanese designer, I forget his Are name. We yeah. The Japanese designer <laughs> who created Donkey Kong, the guy who worked for, I think, for Nintendo, I think they created Donkey Kong. Yeah. Anyways, he, what is, why is he called Donkey Kong if he's a gorilla? Should be called Gorilla Kong, not Donkey Kong. Anyways, he knew about King Kong. He thought, he thought King Kong, he knew what King meant, that it meant King. He thought Kong meant gorilla. He thought King Kong meant King Gorilla. So he thought Kong meant gorilla. And he thought donkey meant stubborn. So Donkey Kong was supposed to mean stubborn gorilla. Uh, yeah. Not as interesting. I didn't see that. 
You want to hear something else interesting? Yeah. How many alleyways do you think there are in Manhattan? Six alleyways? Too many. Four. I was thinking, like, where There are no alleyways north no, of Canal Street. In Brooklyn, there are. In Queens, there are. In Crown Heights, there's a lot of alleyways. In Manhattan, since the 1800s, they, they, by city ordinance, there are no alleyways in Manhattan because they wanted to maximize the real estate. So actually, there are no alleyways north of Canal Street, it's and so there's cool. like four of them south of Canal Street, and and and. Um, I don't know if they're dangerous. I, I, I think they shoot no, movies. No, and every movie that takes place in Manhattan shoots in the Cortland Alley. Cortland Alley is a famous alleyway. It's about three, four blocks Crown long. Heights, when we, we Crown Heights has alleys. Yeah. yeah. That's where we live. Yeah. 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 Nothing but alleys. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't put it in the streets. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I forgot about Chapter 9. Because with Bengals and Donkey Kong and alleyways, how who could even remember Chapter Nine? Okay. So, uh, you, okay. So as we said, the first eight chapters are sort of, um, I call it the lexicon or the introduction to the world of Tanya. So we know about the two souls. We know that the souls have koichos. We know the koiches are seichel and midos. We know those uh, faculties or koiches are expressed through levushim, garments, which number three, machshava dibra thought, speech, and action. We know that the, the, the composition of both souls is zeluma zez, one corresponding to the other is a mirror image of each other. <clears throat> um, we know that in the world at large as well, there's a dichotomy between klippa and kedusha. And we know that within Klippa, there are two gradations, right? Within Sitra Achra, there are two grades. So the redeemable, which we call Klippas Noiga, the translucent husk. And the irredeemable, which will be all things that are Asar Al Pihalacha. Very good. Okay, so that was the first eight chapters. All right. Now, chapter nine, we're returning to a discussion of the souls, we're getting back to the souls, because that's, after all, the whole point of Tanya is about the user's manual for the soul. Um, and we're going to talk about the struggle. The struggle between what? Between the two souls. We know about the two souls. And we're going to talk about where the battle line is um, in that struggle. Okay, so let, let's talk about it. Pedic test, chapter 9. The location of the animal soul is in the heart. What does that mean, the location? It's not a physical object. Oh, where did I leave my keys? You know, I have one of those things, I have, it's called a tile. Yeah, it's probably a tracking device. For me. The Chinese. Chinese government. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, where's where are my keys? Where do I leave my cup of coffee? You ever, you ever find cold cups of coffee all around? The, I saw a really great meme once. I wish I could relate to it more fully, but I related to it enough to crack up. It said directions for iced coffee. It said, have kids. 
Make coffee. Forget you made coffee. Find iced coffee. Um, somebody told me that I could get uh, in legal trouble if I show it on YouTube. Oh. Yeah, so I'm not, not sure. Yeah. I thought it was a joke, but somebody contacted me and told me to keep it on the down low. Yeah. So. (laughs) I was told that once you put it on merchandise, it's a whole different category. Like if you would just put it on a poster, it would be one thing, but you put it on an actual piece of merchandise. Okay. So. When we say that the animal soul is in the heart, we don't mean the physical location. Obviously, it's not a physical object to be found in a physical location. What we mean is where does it get its foothold, so to speak. I don't know if that's an, an anatomical anomaly to say it gets its foothold in the heart. But, uh, yeah, the animal soul, where is it going to get the most leverage is in, in the heart, which is the seat of emotions. Because the animal soul is going to use emotional appeals to try to get its way. Okay? Yeah. Beholla smoli shumole dom in the left ventricle which is full of blood. So you're going to say, well, the right ventricle is also full of blood, not oxygenated blood. The left ventricle means the blood that's going to pump out to your body. The blood that has the life force in it. And that life force, as we explained in the end of chapter 1, is called the nefshech hayunas hativis, the living soul, vitalizing natural soul. That is the uh, life force of the body. Okay, so that's in the left ventricle of the heart, and it's yeah. We said in the end of chapter one that it's in the end. Uh, in the end of chapter one, we said we said that the nefesh habaser bidom who. That the, the, or he, that the soul of the flesh, meaning the energy that keeps your body alive, is carried in the blood. But where does the, but where does the blood come from? Meaning the renewed blood, the useful blood, the oxygenated blood, from the left ventricle. Okay. Uksiv ki hadam hu hanefesh, like it also says, the blood is the soul. Or more probably more accurate, the 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 medium for trans for uh, for bringing the soul, the energy of the soul around all the, around the body. Okay. Velochein and therefore, kola tivus vispotus vikas videmein hein balev. All these negative emotional states like lust and. Uh, pride and anger and anything like that, they're all from the heart. Umehalev, and then from the heart, they spread out to the whole body. So all of the personality traits of the animal soul, the negative personality traits, negative emotional states, emanate, so to speak, from the left ventricle because they are part and parcel of the energy known as the survival instinct which we call the enlivening soul okay all right the gam then when the personality of the animal soul is sort of pumping around the body it goes up to the brain 
and does what up there? To get you to think about that emotional thing, that impulse, call it an impulse, uh, but then it goes up to the brain and it becomes intellectualized. It becomes more of a, uh, well, he calls it like scheming. Lishakim, <laughs> one second. Lishakim means to, to start scheming. So, uh, there, yeah. So there's, a, there's, there, there's an impulse, which is an emotional, um, let's, let's say, an emotional drive towards something. But there's nothing too deep about it. But then it goes from the heart up to the brain. And in the brain, you sort of start, well, there's, there's two things. There's rationalization, you know, justifying why I, it's okay for me to get what I want. And then there's the scheming. Like, how am I going to get it? Yeah. So if the negative traits are from the left ventricle, does that mean the positive traits are in the right ventricle? We're going to find out where the positive traits are. We're going to find out. Yeah. Didn't we learn that first it comes from the brain? Okay, so you're asking, okay, so first of all, why do you have to remember what, why do you have to remember what we learned already? Okay, just, can I get a fresh slate? Okay, fine. Alright, so you ask good. Didn't we learn, namely, you didn't say the chapter number, but I would say chapter three, that there, you call it a hierarchy, yeah, that the, there's the seichel and then there's the middays. Okay, very good. So now you're saying, well, well what's going on here? Alright, valid question. You remember in chapter 6 when it described the composition of the animal soul and it said it's basically the mirror image of the godly soul. It said how the godly soul um, has seichel and midos, three intellectual faculties and seven emotional faculties. And then we said, the, the, in chapter 6, we said that the, the, the animal soul is the reverse. It has um, seven emotional faculties and three intellectual faculties. And I pointed out back then, like, oh, it's interesting, it flips the order. And I mentioned, though, it doesn't mean <clears throat> that... Remember in Chapter 3, the relationship between Seichel and Midas was described as a... Do you remember? Which parent-child relationship. So it doesn't mean, in Chapter 6, when it mentions the emotions first and then the intellect, that whose parent and whose child has been reversed. Uh, you're correct to say that the, the, the mechanics are that emotions always are the children of intellect. That doesn't get reversed. What gets reversed is who's in control. So <clears throat> in a healthy situation, the parents are, are in control. In a dysfunctional situation, the children are in control. Okay. So in the sense that you cannot have an emotional desire for something if you don't first know about it, so the emotions are still the children of the intellect, even in the animal soul. Because the animal soul first knew about this thing, and then developed an emotional attachment to it. Okay? But it doesn't stop there. What happens is then, the real work of the animal soul is to send that emotional impulse back up to the brain, to now enlist the brain to work for the heart, to rationalize what it is that you want, so you can do it guilt-free, and also to scheme and to plot how you're going to get it. What, what happened here? So is the issue... Yeah. Is the issue those negative emotions like lust, pride, and anger, or is the issue the knowledge of what's leading one to have 
What do you say? What do you mean by the issue? Like if I wanted to deal with this, where should I try to head it off? Well, good luck in not knowing about anything that could tempt you. So I don't think that's where the, I don't think that's the uh, approach to take. So uh, you know what? This is, this is a wonderful question. This question actually will drive the next, uh, well, I, I was going to say the next uh, six chapters, but really in, in a certain way it drives the rest of the whole book. Now, we're slowly becoming aware of what the nature of the conflict is. And so you're asking a logical question, which is, okay, being aware that there's a conflict, how, what's the best way to address that conflict or to manage that conflict? That's really, in a certain way, I would say that's the driving question for the rest of the book. So I'm not going to attempt to answer it overly simple right now. Okay. But at any rate, to answer your question, yes. The emotions always come from the intellect, but in the case of the animal soul, the emotions turn around and enlist the intellect to work for them in the sense that the, to, to rationalize what it wants and to uh, plot and scheme how to get it. Okay. So, um, yeah. Kamesh hadam mekayr balev, umahalev mispashit lecholayivodim vegam oyla lahameich shabareish. The physical analog to that is just like the heart pumps the blood and it goes to all of the limbs including the brain the brain needs blood from the heart so similarly you kind of think about it like that that the negative emotional traits or selfish emotional traits of the animal soul the survival impulse originate in the heart specifically in the left ventricle spread out to the whole body including the brain including the brain okay now Ach, we're pivoting. Ach is a pivot word. Ach, however. The location of the godly soul, the godly soul that we learned about in chapter 2, its location in the body is the brain. And from there it spreads out to the whole body, to all the limbs. So we have two headquarters. The animal soul is originating in the heart and spreading out to the whole body from there. The godly soul is originating in the brain and spreading out to the whole body from there. Rabbi? Yeah. You mean the physical analog? Yeah. The nervous system. The brain's controlling all of the limbs. Yeah, yeah. The gam believe b'cholay yamani she'in b'idav. The the brain is controlling everything, including the right ventricle of the heart, which has no blood. And again, that doesn't mean it has no blood. It means blood, useful blood. <laughs> Blood is called blood when it's useful. Useful blood has oxygen in it. Otherwise, it doesn't, doesn't do much for the cells if it doesn't have oxygen in it. Okay. Like King Solomon says that the heart of the wise man is on his right side. What that means is that the right ventricle of the heart, which doesn't have 
the oxygenated blood, meaning it's devoid of that intense survival impulse. So that part of the heart is more neutral, more receptive to the godly soul. Whereas in the left ventricle, where you have that intense survival impulse, it's resistant to the godly soul because it has its own agenda. Now, at this point, what happens in chapter 9 is, I call this the dream sequence. This is the fantasy of the, of the godly soul. This is what, in a perfect world, what would happen to a person if the godly soul were to get his way. So he spreads out this godly soul. I actually call it, a, call it she. We should call it she because souls are girls. So she spreads out from the brain to the heart, taking sort of a foothold in the right ventricle where there's no resistance. What happens is now the brain is using the heart starting from the right ventricle, which is more conducive to that kind of stuff. The brain is using the heart to have feelings of intense love, glowing coal fire intensity of love for Hashem. Also other emotions, like Tiferes, which is the glorification of God. He calls it when the eyes of the um, wise man, which are, which, which are in his head, in the brain of Chochmah and Bina, mistaklim stare at, malka, the glory of the king, whose glory is infinite, like explained elsewhere. It's not talking about physical eyes, it's not talking about visual staring, it's talking about meditation. Focused, concentrated thought. So, when the godly soul is getting its way, the brain is meditating on God, and the heart is feeling the effects of, of that meditation, namely the heart is filling up with intense, glowing, coal-fire-like love for Hashem. Also, all of the other holy emotions of the heart, they also come from the Chabad, from the Chochmah Bin Adas, from the intellectual faculties of the brain. So that's the ideal, what's going to happen when the godly soul is able to get its way. So the brain is meditating on the glory of the king, and the heart is feeling the effects. This is the right ventricle? The right ventricle, yeah, yeah. We're going to find, yeah. Yeah, but he, he, he said the other emotions as well, which includes yira, but uh, primarily love. Love is the... Love is the primary emotion. That's what Burt Bacharach said. Actually, he wrote the song. What's it? Hell David wrote the words. 
Oh, I'm old enough. I'm old enough. Okay. Bert's still alive, by the way. He's in his 90s. He's still making music. What song was it? Don't worry, Gary Gygax. Hi, I'm writing down the song. Okay, how many alleys in Manhattan? Four. See, we have something for everybody in this class. All right. Ah, however, there's that pivot word again. However, he makes if it says Where in title does it say one nation will strengthen strengthen itself over the other? Where does it say that? Very good. So when Rivka's pregnant, and she's like, "What's going on here?" So she finds out she's got two nations in her womb. That's the recipe for iced coffee. <laughs> Double iced coffee. Kiaguf nikra irkitana. Now this is this analogy is like the main um, image imagery for this chapter. The body is called a small city, Ir Katana, small city, like Erie, Pennsylvania. Small city. I don't know. That's what I think of when I think of a small city. Okay. You mean as a pregnant or a non-pregnant? Um, it is yes. It is a small pregnant city. Yeah. Now we're mixing metaphors, but yes. It's like two kings who are fighting over one city. There actually was a battle in the War of 1812, Battle of Lake Erie, near Erie, Pennsylvania. By the way, the most treasure in the Great Lakes is in Lake Erie, because the most shipwrecks were in Lake Erie. You know why? Because it's the shallowest of the lakes. You know the deepest of the Great Lakes? Lake Superior. It's deep as an ocean. You know how to remember the Great Lakes? Homes. H-O-M-E-S. I'm from Chicago. I know my Great Lakes. Okay. So there's a little city. Two kings are fighting over the big... Why did I say big city? Little city. Two kings are fighting over the little city. Each king wants to conquer it and rule it. What does that mean to conquer it and rule it? To conduct its denizens according to its will. And that the denizens of the city should yield to the instructions of of the king. So you got the parable? What are denizens? Denizens is actually the most accurate term here. Denizens means the people who live in a city. Denizen is the people who live in a city. A denizen is a person who lives in a city. 
Denizens is plural, those who live in a city. D-E, Denizens, D-E-N-I-Z-E-N-S, Denizens. Yeah. You know what word which is similar, has a similar suffix that we use more commonly is citizens. But denizens is probably the more correct term here. What's with these kids? What? If you were focused properly on Tanya, you would not notice the cheering of the children. You have to focus. He stockled me a the Malka to stare. That's what I said. That staring means meditation. You have to stare. You know, like when you physically stare. So mentally, you have to stare. Shouldn't bother you that the kids are screaming in the other room. Okay. So you ha- here's the analogy. Remember, there's a, there's a little city. How many cities are there? Two. One. One. One city. Two kings. If there were two cities, we wouldn't have a problem. Because right. we tell each king, you take Erie, Pennsylvania, you take Peoria, Illinois, and everyone, Shalom al Yisro. Why is it a small city? You're going to find out. You're going to find out. So there's one small city, and there are two kings. Now, each king has what kind of an, ag- an agenda? Total domination. Kach, so too, here's the nimshal. Thank you for the correct term. Shtei hanafashais, the two souls. We know the two souls, right? We learned about the two souls. Hoalekis, the godly one. Vachayunasa Bahamas, Shemaha Klippa, the enlivening animalistic one that comes from Klippa. Those two souls. Nilchomizuimzu are fighting each other. Over what? Al <coughs> Over the body and all of its limbs. So what's the small city? I heard a bunch of different answers. What's the small city? The body. That's why it's called a small city. Because usually a person is smaller than a city. So it's a really small city. It's a person-sized city. Population? One. Which is crazy. Population one, but there are two guys running for mayor. Crazy. Okay, and who are the Avadim, the limbs? The denizens of the city. Yeah. Shualakis, the godly soul. Back to the godly soul's dream sequence. Here's the fantasy of the godly soul. Its fantasy is that it will be the sole ruler of the city. And everyone in the city, meaning all the limbs of the body, are going to follow its will. All of the limbs will listen to it and actually be automatically subservient to it. That's what it means, bottle. Automatically subservient. Like without even having to think. The body and all of its limbs will be like a, like a vehicle for the automatic expression of the will of the godly soul. That's what the godly soul is hoping for. Vyu Lavush La Asala Bikine Seva Gimel Vushaha Nik Hanis Karam Lael. 
What is the godly soul hoping for? It's going to dominate this city, and the body will become a garment for its ten faculties that we learned about in chapter 3, and its three garments that we learned about in chapter 4. And that those faculties and garments will be expressed in the limbs of the body. So in other words, the godly soul's fantasy is that the physical body will be a seamless continuation and expression of its ten faculties and three garments. The body will be full of nothing but the koiches and levushim of the nefesholikis. And no foreigner will pass through, meaning the animal soul. That what does the godly soul want? That the three intellectual faculties, will be completely subservient, automatically subservient to the of the, of the godly soul. Which means that it will the, the, the chokhmah of the brain will only be used for chokhmah Hashem, meaning knowing God, and the bina of the brain will be only used for bina Hashem, understanding God, and so on and so forth. And basically, what is the brain going to do all day? In the fantasy version of the godly soul, what is the brain going to do all day? Just think of Hashem. That's it. Think about anything else? No. Why would you? Why would you? And then you're going to think about Hashem all day, meaning your brain's going to be full of thoughts of God. So automatically, what's going to be the effect of that on the heart? And to be born, the word is born, parent-child relationship, what will be born from all that thinking about God all day? Through Das, remember Das is the connection between Chochmah and Bina, we learned about in chapter 3. You're going to feel all of God in your heart. And dread of God, and love of God, like a glowing, uh, raging fire, like a coal. And again, this is still the godly soul's fantasy. What's going to happen? This meditation of God, that the whole brain is going to be only occupied thinking about God. And that's going to pour over into the heart. And then the heart's going to be exploding with this intense love for Hashem. From the depths of the heart in the right ventricle. And that love in the right ventricle is going to be overflowing. Or as we call it in my house, overfloating. Because my kids... <laughs> When they were little, they would say, the garbage is overfloating. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So imagine that. This is, the, this is still the godly soul's fantasy. You're meditating on God exclusively. All of that is generating intense emotions about God, and that's pouring into the right ventricle. Now the right ventricle is mole vigodush. You know what that means? Mole vigodush? Overfloating. So what's going to happen if it's overfloating? What? That's right. It's going to overflow from the right side into the left side. 
What's going to happen in the fantasy of the godly soul is that the intensity of love for Hashem in the right ventricle is going to be so much that it's going to go into the left ventricle and it's going to co-opt the emotions that the... I got very paranoid about the recording because of what happened last week. Yeah. And what's going to happen is, you know, the left ventricle still, by, by, by birth... It is the survival mechanism. It is the, you know, please don't forget to eat. Please don't forget to take care of your body. But in, in the fantasy of the godly soul, because remember, these are two kings that want total domination of the city. So total domination means eventually the love of God is going to pour over and even take over the natural mechanism for survival. And all, all the person is going to want exclusively is going to be Hashem. So this is what the godly soul wants. The godly soul wants to have such intense, uh, such an intense presence in the body that it becomes to the exclusion of any other influence, and that the left ventricle, which is normally about uh, you know survival impulses, taking care of yourself, that'll also be taken over by the by yeah. Urim Vitum, how so? I never heard this before. What? It could be Umin Vitumin, because the Umin is the fire devotion, and the Tumin is the subjugation of that to serve. Never heard that. You, you saw this somewhere, or you're just occurring to you? I was just thinking about this part and the potion and everything. So that's your Chiddush, that's amazing. That's good. Write it up. I didn't say, I never said it was realistic. What did I say? I said, this is the fantasy of the godly soul. Okay. The whole book of Tanya is about realistic. What's realistic? But before we get to what's realistic, I want to tell you what the godly soul would like. We should hear from him, from her. So she says, this is what she, you're asking the godly soul. Well, I see you have an agenda. What's your agenda? What's your agenda? All souls are she's. Really? Nefesh is lush in the cava. The soul is a girl. I didn't know that. Because they know grammar. It says she in my Tanya. So at the beginning of the class you said this chapter was written by somebody else? No. Or the other eight chapters were written by somebody else? No, no, I didn't say that. It says a different color on the map. Okay. Okay, so that the it's overfloating. So the left ventricle is usually the desires that come from klipas noiga. We're not talking about desires to do sins, which are prohibited. We're talking about desires from klipas noiga, neutral stuff. Just things that you're interested in keeping your body alive, right? Um, but then the, the, in, the, in the fantasy of the godly soul, the godly love on the right side is so powerful, it comes over and it takes over the the regular stuff, the mundane stuff from the left side. Yeah. To change it over, to repurpose, to, 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 to convert the normal mundane desires. We're not talking about bad stuff, just normal mundane stuff. But to take even the mundane stuff and to co-opt it to become part of the desire for holy stuff.
Like we say, you should love Hashem with all your heart, not just with two bases, which means with both of your desires. That's the fantasy, that the godly soul, which we could also call the Yetzer Toiv, will co-opt the animal soul, which is also called the Yetzer Hara. So the Yetzer Toiv turns the Yetzer Hara into a second Yetzer Toiv. It's a process, it's certainly one scenario, and it is the scenario, as I said, that the godly soul desires, yeah. You're asking, is that what's happening? I, I'm, we're not getting to practicality right now. Because right now the context is, we're understanding the conflict. To understand a conflict, you have to know what each side wants. So right now we're just learning what does the godly soul want. That's all I'm learning. Yeah. You want to hold off? It's even better than the first one. When the second Yetzirah gets turned. When the Yetzirah gets turned into a second Yetzirah, it's even better than the original Yetzirah, because it's crazy like a Yetzirah, but it's good crazy. Why did I use that term? Because the Lushen that the Chazal use when they explain Becholavavacha means two hearts. And they say with two of, they use the term Yetzir. Yitzorecha, with, with both of your Yetzers. So that's why I'm using that term. Is okay. there a Yetzer Benoni? You're going to find out. You're going to find out. You're going to find out. Vahainu. <coughs> okay, let's continue here. Vahainu. Shiyalavi yavi yagiyala medregas. Lemedregas ava rabba vechiba yaserim medregas ava aza kirishpiyesh. What does the godly soul want? You're going to come to such a high level of love. There are technical terms for this love. Ava Rabba, Chibi Yaseiro, Ava Azo, These are poetic ways of describing intense love. You're going to come to this level of love here in Nikris because of Ava Batainugim. It's also called a love of delights, blissful love. It's a love that is just your, 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 your. High on your love of God. It's just absolutely delightful. To delight in Hashem, similar to the delight of the world to come. Where is that pleasure? It's in the brain, because it's really the pleasure of understanding. It's the pleasure of understanding godly concepts according to your intellectual ability. This, if you want to know, is related to the idea of the water, the elemental water. We speak about the four elements from time to time over here. The elemental water, which is in the godly soul. We spoke about the elemental water in the animal soul, which is the lust for worldly pleasures. The elemental water in the godly soul is the pleasure in understanding God. 
So what happens? The elemental water of the godly soul converts the elemental water of the animal soul. And it takes the elemental water of the animal soul, which is by default the love of bodily things, physical things, worldly, concrete things, takes that same energy and hijacks it in a good way. Good hijackers, I guess. Freedom fighters. Just depends who's writing the article. And turns it into, turns that love of mundane things into a love of God. Okay, now, as we were saying, this is all the fantasy of the godly soul. So, remember, there's a conflict. There's two kings. They're fighting over one small city. And we're going to ask the godly soul, as one of the kings who's fighting in this battle, what, 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 what's your agenda? Would you like a two-state solution? Would you like to compromise? And the godly soul says, no, I want to dominate so thoroughly that I take over all of the resources of my enemy so that my enemy has to join me and become my biggest proponent. That's what the godly soul wants. Nothing short of that. Which you could understand now why this conflict is going to be so intense because there's really no room for compromise. Let's continue. We're going to finish the chapter. Like it says in the Yitzchayim from Chaim Vital, that in the ideal scenario, the Yitzchahara gets turned into a second Yitzchah. Uh, the Yitzchahara gets turned into a second Yitzchah. Toiv, Mamash, he says, literally. When the the object of desire of the animal soul is removed. It's called begadim atzayim, the filthy garments. When the objects of desire of the, of the animal soul become removed from it, and all that's left is the raw energy, and that raw energy can be redirected to a new object of desire, namely, what's the new object of desire? Hashem. Hashem. So now all that power becomes repurposed. That's called a second yetzer toif. And not just Ava, but all of the emotions. All the emotions, meaning all the offshoots of love and fear, all become dedicated exclusively. 99.9%? No. No. 100% to Hashem. This is what the godly soul wants. The cult, and I want to tell you something, it's not just on an emotional level, because we know about there's koiches and there's levushim. There's the insides and the outsides. <clears throat> so you think the godly soul is going to stop just with taking over the emotions? No, it's going to keep going. Remember the three garments, thought, speech, and action, the three modes of expression? It wants those too. It wants everything. All of the speech in the mouth, the and all the conscious thought processes in the brain. Always a hard word to pronounce. Mimuloim. Min shel nefesh will all be full of nothing but the godly soul. So the, the speech becomes an exclusive vehicle to godly speech. And the brain, the thought of the brain becomes an exclusive vehicle to godly thought. All the thoughts are just about Torah. All the speech is just Torah. Never ceasing. 
And then, of course, the third garment action, the the entirety of the body, your entire anatomy, every limb, every pinky toe will be exclusively used for mitzvahs. which is the third garment. So the first one is thought, then speech, and then action. In concentric circles radiating outward, from inward to outward. Okay. So that was the fantasy of Nefesholikis. We've got like one line left. Did we hear yet from the... No, no we didn't. So sh- should we hear from him? Her? One okay. line? Her. One line. But you remember before how we did it. We had we introduced the Nefesh Elikis in chapter 2, and then chapter 3 we spoke about its Koiches, and chapter 4 we spoke about its Levushim, chapter 5 we spoke about its Mazin, and then chapter 6 we had one little chapter about the Nefesh Abamis, and we explained why that was. Because it's just... Yeah, you just flip it. Okay. So everything we just described, the intensity and the, the, the extreme agenda of the Nefesh Elikis... So let's 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 continue now and see what the agenda of Nefshabamis is. Ah, however, Nefshabamishma Klippa, the animal soul which originates in the Klippa, Ritsayna. Again, she's a girl, Ritsayna, not Ritsaynoi. Ritsayna. Her desire, Lehefech Mamash, is literally the opposite. Literally the opposite. So everything we learn about the godly soul. Same thing, just flip it. With the same degree of intensity, it wants to be the sole ruler of the small city. Mm-hmm. However, you should know, and this is very important, so you don't get depressed. The fact that this is what the animal soul wants is actually for the benefit of the person. Now you're getting into a deep question, who's this person? Okay. But let's just, let's just simplify it like this. I'm the city, and there are two kings fighting over me. One of them wants me to be completely dedicated to God. I guess he's a good guy. The other one wants me to be completely dedicated to selfishness. I guess if I'm mature enough, I understand that's pretty scary. It's pretty scary because I'm not a three-year-old. If I were three years old, I'd say, oh, that's cool. He wants me to just indulge and be me. But if I'm mature enough, I realize actually that's kind of scary. I don't want to be a, uh, I don't want to be a, a two-legged animal. So that's kind of scary. But I should realize that even the animal soul's agenda to make me into an absolutely self-consumed Two-legged animal is latoivas ha'adam. It's for the benefit of the person. Why is it for the benefit of the person? She is gabaraleha. That you should overcome it. And you should defeat it. So it wants you to overcome it. The animal soul wants you to overcome it. Like the analogy of the harlot. 
Harlot is the Sikhs an English word that we all use. I think harlot's a confusing word. It's a prostitute. It is a, yeah, okay. So that's what, she is a hired. Okay, let me explain what the mushal in the Zahir is. There's a king. The king wants to test the virtue of his son. He hires a woman who ostensibly this is her this is her profession. And apparently in the marshal it, it, it implies she's at the top of her profession. And he says, do everything in your ability, without telling my son that you were paid, obviously, do everything in your ability to get my son to sin. And she understands the purpose of her job is a moral test. Now, she's a very interesting character, this Zaina in the Zayar Kaddish, because she has a conflicted agenda. On the one hand, she knows the purpose. The purpose is the king will be very sad if the son succumbs to her temptation. So she knows that really the king wants that the son should resist. On the other hand, he hired her, told her, do your best for a reason, because it has to be a real test. So she can't just, you know, throw the fight and purposely, you know, take a dive, like, you know, when you, you bribe the boxer to, to not really fight, right? No, she's got to really, really try. She's got to really try. So she's got a very interesting uh, motivation here, this character is that on one hand she has to try her hardest and the other hand she wants to fail. So the Zayar says you should understand that Nefshabamis is like this Zayna who was hired by the king to test his son. The Nefshabamis is going to try hard to turn you into a raging narcissist who can justify any indulgence and bowl over everyone in your life and have great excuses for it. That's what Nevish Bambas is going to try to make you do. But you should know why it's trying to make you do that. It's not uh, a free agent. It's not working for itself. It works for Hashem. And it wants you to resist. But <clears throat> if it wants you to resist... That doesn't mean that it's just going to make it easy for you. No. It's going to make it hard for you. So that you can really resist. So imagine it's sort of like this trainer or this gym coach who's screaming at you. And you're like, you're such a tyrant. No. If I, if I, if I do another burpee, I'm going to pass out. And he says, you do another burpee. And you run up that, you know the burpee, you know, yeah. burpees? Oh my gosh, you ever did burpees? Yeah, oh my gosh. Like a squat down, you kick out your feet, and it's crazy. Okay, anyways, but yeah? I just have one question. Yeah. Um, the city and its faculties and garments. So um, there's the three faculties. Yeah, yeah. And the garments are the ten spirits? No, 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 no. There are, actually, there are ten total faculties. The faculties are the koichai senefesh that we learned about in chapter 3, which are three 
intellectual and seven emotional. And then the garments are the thought, speech, and action that we learned about in chapter four. So the godly soul wants complete uh, expression of all of its ten faculties and three garments. And the animal soul also wants complete expression of all of its ten faculties and three garments. But really, it wants what Hashem wants. They both really want what Hashem wants. But it's in a double bind. It's in a double bind, yeah. Which means it might be better. Conflicted denizens. What? Why would Hashem do this? Why would Hashem do this? That's a very philosophical question. And in fact, in chapter 35, we will ask, Why, Hashem, is this your idea of a good time? But... At any rate, let me just, we're, we're over time. I just want to sum up. So what do we learn today? There's a small city. What's the small city? No. Who's the small city? Yes. Okay. Two kings. Godly soul, animal soul. Their agenda, each one, no compromise. Total domination. Now we've set the scene for what the conflict is. In the next two chapters, we're going to talk about various different scenarios, how different personae, different types of people manage that conflict better or worse. Right. So we're going to talk about different ways that the conflict plays out. But at least now you know who are the who are the players. You know what the you know you know where the game's being played, you know who's playing the game, how's it going to play out. There are different scenarios, okay? It's not like the Bengals and the Rams. No. And they both yeah. agree on three and seven. Yes. Yeah? Are they kings? Kings. They're kings. They're two kings. They're kings who have a king. The vassal of my vassal is not my vassal. Feudalism. That was the problem with feudalism. The vassal of my vassal is not my vassal. Anyways, you look it up, okay? All right. I